Hey, how are you? It's another episode of Film Streak. Welcome. Now, my name is Rob, and every episode here, what I like to do is to talk about some of the movies that I've watched. And, you know, I, I, I've gone back and forth on new releases and catalog titles, you know, the older stuff, the classics, the whatevers. And sometimes I just, uh, I get on a tear of, I just want to watch new stuff. I just want to watch recent releases or maybe brand new releases that are in theater still. So, you know, I, I go back and forth and I try to find a good balance. I hope that's something that's working out for you. If you're listening to this, uh, you know, first of all, thanks for checking this out. But really, uh, if you, if you want to see more episodes about older films I have a long list of films I want to watch, but there are times when I'm just uh, looking at what's new, what's coming out, or just kind of flipping through, you know, whatever streaming service is up, and this just looks interesting, and so I'll just give it a watch. And so this episode, I want to get into some of those films, and, you know, I started watching a couple of these, and I realized, oh, I, I started to see a little bit of a pattern, and you probably figure it out. Uh, I might even title the episode something really obvious, but these films, they are very loosely connected by the idea of being based on or inspired by a true story or real events or real people. And as you will see, or I think as we all have seen in films, whether it's uh, like a biopic about a famous person, a celebrity, a, an artist, a figure, or something that's based on a real event that happened, you, you might see that there are some some films or some of these stories that get real loose with the facts, you know? How accurate are they entirely? I don't really know. That's not even important, though, I think. Um, you know, something I remember when I watched uh, some of the stuff about the social network. I watched an interview or maybe some of the, the commentary stuff with Aaron Sorkin, who wrote that film. And I remember something that he said about writing that film and how much he intentionally deviated from either the book or the actual uh, chain of events or the actual people that were involved. And it was more about, and, and I think he even did this with the Steve Jobs movie too. The idea wasn't to be totally accurate. The idea was to convey the emotion of the moment, maybe the energy of things that were happening or people's feelings about things that were happening. So, you know, that's where I think... Sometimes you have to take a little bit of creative license, right? And so I, all that to say, hey, these are films that are quote unquote based on a true story. And uh, it's interesting to see just the different approaches that people take to this whole thing. So with that, let's get into it. Here we are, Film Streak 281, Breaking. Is robbing the bank. Who's in charge here? Well, she is, but we're both. I'm, I'm the manager. Estelle Valerie. Still, huh? Once they leave, you lock the front and back doors, you understand me? You lock them all. Got the FBI, the GBI. Everybody here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. This is Sergeant Bernard. Is everyone all right in there? As long as everybody stays calm. Nobody gets hurt. I have a bomb, and I'm gonna kill myself and everybody in here. My demands are not met. Hey there, this is the Windy Hills Wells Fargo. Uh, yes, ma'am. This is the Wells Fargo. Uh, yeah. I need to talk to Bridget about my 401k. I think she made a nine thousand dollar mistake. I'm sorry to hear that, ma'am. Can I take a message for you? Fraud was committed. The VAs don't want a disability check from me. I've had some problems with veteran affairs myself. How about you release one of those ladies? No. I need everybody to see what's happening here. I need the fire trucks. I need the news cameras. You have my undivided attention. Standing I don't want the bank's money. Calling all the people here to see 
work this out, brother to brother. I do not have as much time as you think I do. Snap is her in place. Coming through, coming through. Get the blinds. Get the lights. What do I need to do to get the attention that I need right now? Everything you say, everything you do, it matters. You matter. All you got to do now is just make good, Brian. Just make good. You ever been robbed before? Once. Had it in. Now here's a film from 2022 from writer and director Abby Damaris Corbin. And uh, this stars John Boyega. Uh, it's got a few other people you might recognize. Connie Britton, Michael K. Williams. Um, I, You know, I remember when this came out because I thought it was one type of movie, just based on some of the trailers. It, it really does kind of set this up as like this is a bank robbery type of movie. There are some parallels, I guess, you could even draw to something like Dog Day Afternoon or uh, maybe even something towards like Inside Man or, you know, actually even there there was a movie that Denzel Washington did, I think, in like the early 2000s or late 90s, uh, John Q, which was sort of a similar thing in in a way. Um, This one is 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 actually a very different kind of story. Put it this way, the themes that this film is trying to talk about are very specifically related to uh, the treatment and the neglect of the veterans, the, the people that are returning home from their tours, from their service, and they're either being disregarded, they're being disillusioned, and as a result, they end up with a real struggle and end up with broken lives. And so here we see this, this character uh, who is in this film is actually, uh, the story is actually based on a real incident. And it's interesting to see that this film tackles this, not just in the sense of like, we get right to the events. I mean, it, it doesn't take a lot of time for it to get to that, but it does take a few moments during the opening scenes of the film to establish like this character is, is going through some real trouble. Now, whether that's mental trouble or emotional trouble or just physical trouble, I mean, it seems like it's kind of all around. This guy is just in a really bad place and he's kind of at the end of his rope. And he takes this measure of, taking this bank hostage, not to rob the bank, not to get thousands of dollars to take the bank's money or other people's money. He just wants his money that he feels was wrongly taken from him. And, you know, that's something that, you know, I don't have direct experience with that, but, you know, I have people in my family that are veterans that served and, from what I understand, at least, it is a little bit more of a hassle to have to deal with a, a, a bigger government organization, the bureaucracy, the the paperwork, the sometimes complications that uh, just make the struggle that everybody's already going through even harder. And so all that to say that, you know, this film explores like what somebody does or what somebody's capable of doing when they reach that point where they have no other they they have no other means now to to be heard or to provide for themselves you know there there are some very key moments and some really kind of hard powerful lines in the film where the character breaks it down really simply of like he he's not going to be able to feed himself he's a grown man he can't even feed himself because he has no money because it's been taken from him and he can't provide for his, his wife or his ex-wife and, or his daughter and he has no place to live. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you see like this is how people can end up this way because it, even though they serve their country, they risk their own lives. 
that uh, sometimes that can just go really unappreciated or, or just not even acknowledged. The fact is, though, that this film, it doesn't really play on the tension of the moment, the tension of the incident, I don't think. I, I think it is more about this character. It is more about his internal struggle. Even when he starts to become delusional and, and starts talking about things that are, are really kind of born out of his paranoia and his, his anger and his resentment. And you can see the other characters in the bank. There's two other ladies that are in the bank with him that he holds hostage and they start to disconnect because at first you, you, you know, it is interesting to watch the dynamic of they are scared. Of course, they are confused but at the same time, they are trying to work the situation, trying to be strong and trying to be smart. And yet, when he starts to exhibit this kind of behavior of like, he's just talking crazy talk now, they back away. They, they just kind of have to look at him sideways like, wait, what are we? We can't help this guy. We can't get ourselves out of this because we don't know what this guy is going to do when he starts talking like this. And I guess that is to illustrate the, the unstable nature of someone in this situation. I, I guess I don't really get, want to get too far into like what the film, like where it ends up. But I mean, if you look up the real event, the, the real people involved, I guess you could figure out what happens. Uh, I'll say this, though. In the end, it works as a great showcase for John Boyega who, I, I mean, I like. I like him in some of the films he's been in. And this, he really goes through the paces. He gets big, he gets small, he goes just full tilt, and then he's able to just bring it down to almost a whisper. And it's a great performance. It really is. I mean, it shows that he's really invested in this character in the moments and all that. And even the subject matter, like you can tell, like there's just a real earnestness to like telling this story about this person and this type of thing that does happen. I think, unfortunately, the the problem I have with the film is that everybody else around him doesn't really, you know, I, I say except for there's one character in the film, uh, Estelle, who's one of the, the women who's in the bank with him that he takes sausage and it's played by, uh, Nicole Barahi. And I, you know, I feel like I've seen her in a couple of other things, but here she really, she has some moments where she goes toe to toe with him. She holds her own in those scenes as a character, but also as a performer. And I, I, I give her the credit of like, okay, she's kind of hanging in there, but I just think some of the uh, performances here weren't as strong. And maybe that's because this whole film really is built around John Boyega's character. So, okay, cool. Fine, fine. If it weren't for him, I don't know that this film would really make any kind of waves at all. All that to say, I mean, is it a recommendation? I don't know. I mean, if you if you really are interested in maybe like bank robbery heist kind of movies... Maybe, but it's it, it doesn't really play on any big action moments. It doesn't have a lot of suspense. I mean, it has its it has a few moments throughout, but it's not like a, the ticking time bomb kind of thing that I think you're supposed to believe it is. It really does take its time and build this very slow, very gradual tension. And by the time you get to the end, it does feel like a, a real tense situation, but for a lot of it, you, you're really just learning about this character and learning about his situation and even jumping outside of the bank to other characters and what's happening to them. I can't really recommend it, but I, I got to give it credit for doing something different with this uh, formula, let's say. I don't know. Maybe check it out if, you, if you're curious, but... Um, if you don't, I don't know if you'd really miss a whole lot. I'm sure John Boyega's been in a lot of other great films, too, that will show just as much of his acting range as you'll see in this, but might be even bigger and stronger and more impactful. All right, so here we go. Let's keep it moving here. Film Streak 282, 
Lamborghini, the man behind the legend. The world has changed. I want the world to never forget money. Our name. Signor Ferrari, in my opinion, you make the best cars in the world. But with all my Ferraris, there is a problem. The clutch. I have a solution. If you consider a partnership, Ferrari, Lamborghini. Go back to your tractors, farmer. What are you thinking? Thinking of a car that doesn't exist yet, one that is as strong and powerful and as unforgettable as the bull. I'm going to build it. How long will it take? Can't be done. If it doesn't work, we'll lose everything. You want me to be like everyone else? It's not impossible until we fail. In six months in Geneva, people will be looking for the next Ferrari. What they will find is the first Lamborghini. That's something new. I don't know if this would work. The world will be ready for this one day. Tell me why you think that the world needs another luxury car. It's perfection that I am after. You don't care about me. The only thing that matters is a great Lamborghini. What do you want me to do? Why are we here? To make a car. To make the best car. You have a responsibility to tell them what you're doing. He's too uneducated to understand what he doesn't know. You buy a Ferrari when you want to be someone. You buy a Lamborghini when you are someone. All right, so here we go. This is a film from writer and director Bobby Moresco. And uh, this stars uh, an actor who I've seen in, in movies for a little while now. And I feel like he's really finally kind of coming around to getting the bigger media roles that I've always wanted to see actors like this be in. And that is Frank Grillo. And I feel like, you know, he's played a lot of tough guys and the scrappers and the fighters and the guys that you do not want to fuck with. And here in this movie, it's just a whole different lane he's in. And it's interesting to watch. I, I'll give you that. It's a very different uh, gear that he hits. And I think for the most part, it works. But I think the problem, again, strangely is that this film, it's hinged around this one character, of Ferruccio Lamborghini, but it's such a big story. I, I think the, the, the idea of telling the story of this man's life and what led up to the creation of this car company and the cars and the culture of it all, I, I think that's such a big story. And this film... It just like breezes through so much of it. I know people work on films. They try hard. They work hard. But this feels like it's only like halfway there. And and I just mean in terms of the scope. I mean, the film starts at the end of World War II in Italy as the country is kind of trying to recover or rebuild itself. Um, you're seeing young Ferruccio. He's going back home to his family farm. He has a dream of building tractors, and he talks to his father. He tries to find a way to start this business, to make this thing happen. He meets a young woman. They get married. He has a son. The mother dies giving birth to the son. It, it, I mean, it, it's we're going through, we're just like blasting through this part of his life, which are big, important moments. And when he finally gets the tractor built, the, the prototype, or he gets the business off the ground, you know, we see that, oh, there's his friend Matteo, who is a part of this, and he betrays him because of a girl. And, you know, and then we, that's like, I mean, we get to halfway point in the movie. And this is not a long movie, by the way. This movie is maybe like an hour and a half long. It's like not even a hundred minutes. We get halfway through this movie, and now we cut to older, grown up. Ferruccio, who is played by Frank Grillo. And there is where we see 
the man who comes up with the idea for the cars. You know, I, and, and look, the thing for me is like, I wanted to see all of the story because I really thought that this was a man who dreamed of making sports cars and, and luxury cars. And that was his whole life. What was surprising though, is that this was a real journey for this man. And, and I feel like this film as is told skips over a lot of that journey. I mean, at the beginning of the film, we see him as maybe a teenager, maybe in his early 20s. And then we jump to him being in his 40s. I mean, we we really pass through a lot of time from like 1964 to like 1980. I think that's the jump. That's a pretty significant jump in someone's life. And so that's when the cars become a thing. Building the first car, building the prototype, pushing against... Uh, what is thought to be possible, like innovating, finding new ways to design a car or to, you know, all all of it really, I mean, there is an important thread in the film of he has a, an encounter with uh, Enzio Ferrari and he's trying to give him some, either some tips on how to build cars because he builds tractors and he sees different ways to do things. And he even offers to maybe become a partner somehow to go into business together to build the very best car in the world, right? And of course, that gets shot down right away because Ferrari is Ferrari. You don't mess with that. Okay, so he decides, hey, he's going to do it himself. He's going to make his own car. He's going to make a name for himself and take over where Ferrari is leaving off. All right. And so that right there, that's a whole story in itself. And I feel like if that was the film, that's what would uh, honestly would probably fascinate me more is understanding how this man decided to take on like a giant in the industry. I think the idea of seeing someone push themselves and push the people around them so hard, it has room to be inspirational and even somewhat uplifting but, you know, the flip side to that, of course, is like with any uh, visionary or, or let's say uh, genius or big thinker, they come with some other problem. They come with some other baggage. I understand that. Here, the, the, the baggage or the, the problems that he brings with him, leaves in his wake even, are his family. And, and here, right here, is the other problem I have with the movie. Miro Sovino is in this film as the girl that he meets when he's younger, that he betrays his friend for. He ends up getting married to her, but that's not his original, his first wife. That's not the mother of his son. So as it's portrayed here, it is never really going to be the love of his life. And again, I don't know how accurate this is, but the way it's shown to us is like, well, she kind of knows that. And so she takes a back seat to a lot of stuff and takes even the, uh, let's say, the neglect. And yet there are moments in the film where she tries to like push and like to steer him certain ways of like, well, we can't do that. That's not good for the business. That's not good for the family. What about your son? What about me? All those things are important and all those things are probably real. Those, those conversations, those moments happen. But it just feels like Miro Servino just got the, she just got a bad hand here. Because this character, this Anita, is a total wet blanket on the entire film. I mean, surely there must have been an actual good part of their relationship. But as it's shown here, it's just like she's just the nag. And the one that kind of just shoots down everything he wants to do and everything he everything he dreams about. And so I I don't think that's Mero Sovino's part and I don't even think that's how it really happened. I just think as a filmmaking device that's where this character landed. It just sucks that that's the way it worked out because I feel like there could have been a lot more room for some nuance and maybe a little more development there. Make this person not be such a a uh, a drag on the whole thing. That character being such a a problem 
And then the film itself being such a condensed version of the type of film I would have liked to have seen, it's hard to recommend this film. I mean, if you're interested in the cars, if you love the cars, if you're enthusiasts, I could see totally wanting to check this out and find something really uh, intriguing or, or, or entertaining about it. But honestly, I can't even say that it does that so well. You know, there are some moments where it feels really cinematic and you feel like you're watching a real legit cinematic version of this man's life. And then there are other moments. I mean, especially some of the scenes where him and his wife, Anita, are, are arguing or having conversations even. And it just feels so melodramatic and like a soap opera. And I don't, I don't even know if it's like just the way it was shot or edited or, or even the performances. I, I don't know. It's, it's just real like up and down. Like it's such a mixed bag of, of quality in a way. So I, for me, it doesn't really kind of cross the finish line in a good way. I, I, I just think um, it leaves a lot to be desired. So I don't know. I'd recommend it. If you're again, if you're a fan of the cars and you you're about that Lambo life, go check it out. Otherwise, I feel like this story might eventually get made in a bigger, broader scope, and and really be more fleshed out, and and be the film that I guess this story or or this man deserves. So, um, but you know, hey, I give credit for trying. I do like Frank Grillo. I like the movies he's done. I like some of the characters he played. Uh, I really wish this would have been like a big, giant, starring vehicle for him. Um, I just I just don't know if the end results really, really got it there, you know? Take it for what you will. And, you know, if you really just want to have fun, go back through the last 10 minutes or so and figure out how many car and racing puns I threw in there. <laughs> I didn't do it on purpose. It just happened. All right. Okay. Let's keep it going. Film Streak 283. Jerry and Marge go large. There's a loophole that the lottery didn't see. The more we bet, the better the odds. Everybody, to Jerry. Not everybody can pull off 42 years without getting fired. Jerry, you don't have to work so hard. You're retiring. I don't have to be. These are your golden years. How's my account? 2% gains. You just got to be more aggressive. I could double your money in 7.27 years. Literally, the only time I was going to get to use that today. Jerry, you're going to have to tell me what's going on. I was always good with math, codes, puzzles, you name it, but I just feel like I never got to be a part of the world. I found this flaw. There's a loophole that the lottery didn't see. It's right here in the math. I don't know what this says. It looks like the numbers of crazy man drew in a cell wall. I cannot believe you are my accountant. I'm playing the lottery, and I won $15,000. Why didn't you just tell me? We barely have enough money to retire on. This is no time to risk it. Yes, it is. What? Can I help you? We'd like to buy 8,000 windfall tickets. I'm going to help you first. $312,000. What now? We want to start a corporation. We'll split the profits with the whole town. You said the more we bet, the better the odds. Let's do it. There's another group. These kids figured it out. The payout should have been bigger. We're really hurting each other by playing at the same time. I just need you out of the game. We're not done. Do you know what the dark web is, Jerry? Because it's going to be the only place to buy your life back when I'm done selling it to countries that you can't even pronounce. I'm going to do it to everyone in your group. The lottery suspended our license. We're betting half a million. Go big or go home. And all my people say really does feel like we're robbing a bank. Nah, this is going to be more fun. We are betting $40,000 on windfall tickets. Are you guys drug dealers? We're professional lottery players. That isn't a thing. It is now. Like the ceiling can hold up. All right, so here, this is a film from 
director David Franco. This is from 2022. And uh, this stars Brian Cranston, Annette Benning, Larry Wilmore, Rain Wilson. Uh, who else is in this film? Uh, there's a couple other people in here. But the, the main thing is that this is a film that I had not heard a single thing about, did not know existed. I I really like Brian Cranston, and I feel like I've seen most of the more recent stuff he's been in. Um, of course, ever since Breaking Bad, it's like this guy is just a, an amazing actor. And there's a few things I haven't seen yet. Uh, I've got on my list. Um, but this one, you know, I was just flipping through on uh, uh, Paramount+. Plus. That's where I saw this. And I think this is an exclusive there. So take that for what it is. But I was flipping through and I saw this movie and uh, I just decided to put it on. I had no idea what it was really about. But, uh, you know, to kind of lay it out quickly, it's about this couple it's based on a true story. Um, this couple in Michigan, uh, Jerry is a retiree. He just retired from, uh, I don't know, it was like a Kellogg's plant or something in Michigan. And he's good with numbers. He's very analytical, very practical. But as he's retired, he finds himself kind of frustrated and, and kind of uh, like, rudderless, you know, just like no clear direction of what, what to do now. And so just in the small town that he's in, I think it's like some small town in Michigan. I don't remember. He, he overhears something about the, the new lotto game or whatever that's happening. And he decides to look into it. And, and because he's so good with numbers and math and, and big brainiac over here, he just uh, figures out that there might be a loophole with this game where it's not like a normal lotto. It's like a runoff game or something like that, where if nobody wins, this other game kicks in and then you can like raise the stake. I, I, I didn't even understand it, really. I don't deal with lotto too much. But anyway, this couple or Jerry specifically figures out, oh, there's a loophole. So now he's going to go and try his hand. He's going to buy some tickets and see if it actually works. And it does work. And he wins. And he wins like, I think, $15,000 like that. So he tells his wife, who is also not a gambler, but, you know, because what are they doing with their life? The kids are grown. They have grandkids. They're just, they're at that point in life where like, okay, well, what do we do with ourselves? And so they decide they're going to capitalize on this loophole. And it's not illegal. They're not breaking the law. They're not necessarily even breaking the rules of the game. They're just working the numbers. It's it's all about statistics and, I guess, probability. So that's where Jerry decides, okay, well, if we buy 8,000 tickets, we're going to hit or whatever it is. And so they do that. And they just kind of keep doing it again and again they live in a small town, so they're bringing other people, their friends or, you know, neighbors and people in the community, they're bringing them into this thing now as like an investment scheme almost. And, but everybody gets their share and everybody participates in the same way. They're not scamming people out of money either. They're doing it to actually help people because this is a small town, again, in Michigan, where things ain't great economically or otherwise. So... They're doing this to help people, help their neighbors, help their friends. And it's actually working. They're winning over and over. And even when the, this game, like they close it out in Michigan, they still have to drive. They, they still have the game running in other states. And I think they find like it's Massachusetts. Yeah, I think it's in Massachusetts where they have to drive now to buy the tickets and you know, to be able to participate in the game. So they're doing this like every few weeks or whatever it is. And they can just keep this thing rolling. They're just raking in more money. At some point, uh, some kid in Harvard, also in Massachusetts, he figures out the same loophole because they're a bunch of brainiacs over there too, but they're also asshole brainiacs. So they decide they're going to kind of go toe to toe with Jerry and his wife, Marge, and with all their friends 
and kind of dip into the same pot to uh, for the winnings. I, you know, all of this is is really interesting because it it seems like there would be a lot more intrigue and a lot more uh, suspense to it all of like who's going to get to the money first and who's going to one up each other and how do they outdo themselves. But this film it really plays it light. I mean, it, it's not a, a an intense, suspenseful thing. I mean, this this film is really, honestly, it's really middle of the road, tonally. Like it's not very intense, and it's not quite boring or bland. It's it's like right in the middle there somewhere. But these two characters, at least, these two actors. They're doing what they do best. Cranston here is just absolutely transforms into this man who is, he just plays it so small and subtle and almost a little meek, you know, but, but he's earnest. I mean, he's a very uh, sincere and, and gentle man, even a little quaint. And he thinks about his neighbors and he thinks about his family and even though he doesn't always connect with people correctly, because he is very analytical. And that's part of the, the development in the film is the character does learn a new way to connect with people by helping them with their money, by helping them make money, really. And Benning here, Annette Benning as Marge, I, I mean, she uh, look, I'll just say this, Annette Benning, I've always liked in films. I mean, I... I'm trying to think the first film I saw her in would have been what, like, uh, not the grifters, maybe the grifters. I feel like there was something even before that. The great outdoors, I think. Wasn't it like the late eighties? I think it was. And I just remember in those films, even, I mean, that was a long time ago now, but still even today in this film, all these years later, it's just very, uh, it just has like a real energy. It's almost like effervescent, you know, it's just like, she smiles, you want to smile. She gets serious, you feel it. You want to get serious. I mean, she's always played these great characters that are smart and strong, but also kind of kind of down for whatever, you know? And I feel like they at least work together as a couple and as the, the center of this story. Some of the other characters around them, I feel like they're a little bit more cartoons in a way. They're kind of thinly drawn you know, Rain Wilson's character he doesn't really doesn't really hang together so well. I don't think that's his fault. I just think the character, as it's kind of written or conceived, it's kind of one note. You know, he's just a guy that's kind of a slacker, kind of a bum, but also has a good heart, and and that's really it. <laughs> um, the one, I, you know, what actually, I'd say uh, Larry Wilmore's in this film. And I don't remember ever having seen him in a film before. I mean, I I know he had the show on Comedy Central a few years back. Um, and, you know, to me, he comes off as very natural and feels like an actor, of course. I know he's a writer. So maybe he kind of understands, like, being able to, you know, convey the voice and the, and the ideas and the tone and all that. But it's great to see him be kind of a a part of the story here, not just a guy stepping in like a cameo or whatever. He's actually like part of, a, you know, things that are happening. And, you know, all that aside, like the plot of it is, is kind of interesting because you wouldn't think this is even really possible that someone could game the game and end up winning and also not get in trouble. And, you know, because you would think something like this somehow might be illegal or something like that. So the idea that this this story actually played out, I think that's what's more interesting than the way it plays out. But overall, I mean, I guess it's 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 a slight recommendation, you know? It's a definitely a lighter touch. It's not so serious, and even the comedy, it's not like super broad, you know, it's not raunchy. It's it's very it's very wholesome family entertainment. Put it that way. So, um, you know, I'll give it credit. I'll give it credit for doing that, for kind of 
almost kind of threading that needle of making something that is entertaining, but also meaningful and not necessarily, um, uh, it, it doesn't push an envelope too far in a direction that, you know, I mean, you could literally sit and watch it with your kids and still get something out of it and maybe still even be entertained. So that's what you're looking for. Check that one out. That's on Paramount+. Plus. Jerry and Marge, go large. All right, let's get to the next one here. This is Filmstreak 284, Flaming Hot. No, 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 no. Flaming Hot. We all write our own stories. Where is Richard? I'd like to speak to him. I'm here. This time. That's me, the metal metal, Mr. Richard Montañez. I'm the guy who helped bring the world the most popular snack it's ever seen. Are you ready? I will. I've been ready. All right, all right. It was a little bit more like this. Spicy? Yeah, see, that's how I got here. Dear God, please forgive me for the gang, the drugs, the stolen cars. What the heck, man? Let's move it. Hey, he is praying, pendejo. Go ahead, baby. The guy started at the very bottom. I know I don't look it, but I got a PhD. Hmm. I'm poor, hungry, and determined, sir. Okay, I can see you're gonna be a weird one. What's happening? Layoffs, son. Lots of them. Frito-Lay isn't getting enough orders to keep the factory open. Who eats Cool Ranch anyway? That lady. Ow, 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 ow. What is it? It burns. Well, stop eating it. No, I like it. It burns good. I had been searching for an answer. And there it was. They had been there the entire time. I got an idea. It's a spicy chip. It's gonna change everything. It will save our factory. And you're a janitor. Okay, no, no, don't hang on. Figure out the next step. Say, the Hispanic market will not be ignored. The Hispanic market will not be ignored. Good, but in your voice. Why are we wasting time on this janitor's crazy idea? Guys like you and me, we don't get shots like this. You see that guy right there? I see a chingon, a montañez. Yo soy montañez. Get out there and be great. We want to know that we matter to you. If we knew that there was a product out there for us, we'd say, take all our money, cabrones. I got a little hood there at the end, but... Burns good or burns bad? bad? It burns good. <laughs> Alright, so this is from director Eva Longoria. And yes, that Eva Longoria from uh, was uh, Desperate Housewives, right? Now, um, I didn't know anything about this story. I didn't even know that uh, this was how... I just figured this was a Frito-Lay thing that they just cooked up in some lab somewhere these spicy or, or flaming hot Cheetos and flaming hot, you know, corn products that they have. <laughs> now, the idea that this was all conceived and dreamt up and basically made into reality by this man, Richard Montañez, one, as, as a Latino, I'm very interested to see that story. You know, while this film, uh, you know, it, it has a little bit of trouble with it for me because part of the time it feels very sincere and very, uh, it, it feels like it's trying to stay true to the idea of what, you know, the inspiration, right? Of like a one man can make a difference, can have a dream, can, you know, do the impossible, all those things, right? which are all great. Those are all very lofty goals for your story and for your film. But this film tries to do it with such a strange kind of combination of this, like some of the acting, some of the writing is, it feels very kind of ham fisted and um, real on the nose sometimes. And that's kind of how this film actually plays in a way. I mean, Part of me, I mean, especially the beginning, when we're seeing a young Richie when he's a kid and he's growing up and he's getting involved with like gangs and drugs and crime and dealing with the cops and, you know, his childhood or growing up in the 70s 
in uh, Southern California, you know, part of that, it, it plays like the kids movie version of everything. You know, I mean, if that's what we're doing, I, you know, I can go watch a diary of a wimp kid some other time. I'm not really trying to watch that right now. And yet that's kind of where this film starts out. Like that's sort of the tone and it doesn't really go away. I mean, it, it kind of lingers throughout the whole film. Now it does have some moments where it gets a little heavier and you have a little more uh, uh, deeper uh, emotional beats that it hits, you know, especially when Richard grows up and he's older and he's, you know, he's struggling. He's got a family and he's trying to provide and he's trying not to look at that gang life no more and all that. He's trying to be legit, have a real job. And yet, you know, he's the struggle of like, I gotta, I gotta pay the bills. And then, you know, and then my dad's being an asshole to me and, you know, never really respected me and, and all that. And so it's got some of those moments where you know, people could probably relate to a little more, but then it does just swing back into like child's play. It's like, oh, we're going to have these really, I mean, I love Matt Walsh. I think he's a funny actor and, and he's a great uh, comedic talent, but some of the scenes with him, it feels totally out of like some Nickelodeon stuff, you know? You know, it's, it's, it's honestly, it's kind of frustrating because I want to like this movie. I, I want to like uh, the story of it. And I just feel like it gets hamstrung. It's just, you're taking all the wind out of the sails by doing that. And I don't know if that's on purpose. I mean, maybe that is a very specific tone that this film was trying to hit. I don't know. It didn't really work for me. And, you know, maybe the idea is also like, hey, if you break it down, just boil it down to its bare essence. I mean, this is a film about hot Cheetos. So how serious were you ever really going to take it, right? I guess. I mean, I guess that's I guess that's the thinking. So, you know, look, if you want to see an interesting or, or at least a somewhat inspirational story about Latinos and the culture and, you know, being able to transcend that and rise into corporate America or, or popular culture or whatever. This might have some stuff in there for you, but unfortunately it kind of still trades in some of the, uh, uh, I don't know, like some of the tired tropes uh, that, that I think we've seen enough of already. And I, look, even at the beginning of the film, when it's saying, well, not the beginning, but even Towards the beginning of the film, when we're seeing young Richie when he's growing up and he's running from the cops as a teenager, and the voiceover even says, yeah, I know, why do we always got to be the bad guys or the criminals or whatever? Yeah, why? Okay, fine. If that was what really happened, that was a man's real life, okay, I understand that. But then let's get past that. Let's move past that quickly. And that's not keep coming back to that of like, you know, I, I don't know. It's frustrating. It is frustrating because I want to like this movie. And yet there's so much, there, there's so many little things in it that keep taking me out of it and keep reminding me, oh yeah, I'm watching a movie. I want to watch this man's life. I want to watch this man's story because I do feel like it's important. Uh, so look, um, if you're curious, if you do want to see this, it's on Hulu. I think it's a Hulu exclusive, but um, if not, I mean, you may be able to find some other places. I'm more interested in the fact that what does this do to Flamin' Hot Cheetos, Doritos, Fritos, whatever? What does this do to their business? Because I have to feel like there's got to be a certain level of product placement, participation, some kind of deal that must have been happening because... This feels very uh, heavily coordinated, cooperated with. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I mean, I got to feel like this, you know what? Maybe that's even why the film is the way it is. Like you can talk about our company, you can use our logos, our brands, but y you know, you got to keep it kind of light. I don't know. I'm being cynical now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying there's something else in this film that I, it could have gone just one layer deeper, I think, or, or maybe just kind of cut a little bit of fat. And I think it would have been a, a, 
a much more um, interesting film to watch. Here we go. Last one up. Film Streak 285, Reality. Look, you've had a good career. I don't think you're a big bad master spy. I think you just messed up. I think you might have been angry about what's going on. The Russians attacked our democracy and the, the election president campaign may have They didn't attack. Reality. Were you surprised to see us today? We are concerned with the leak. An insider threat. This is my partner. What partner? Wally Taylor. Hey, how are you? We have a search warrant for your house. Oh my goodness, okay. Would you like to see it? Yes, please. 125 pounds, you guys. Flatter me. Sorry, I have a sense of humor. That was on your driver's license. That's right. Okay, well, I lied. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> Reality. What if I said that you printed out classified information? That document has made its way outside of NSA. And the most likely candidate is you. I think you know a lot more than what you're telling us at this point. I'm trying to deploy. I'm not trying to be a whistleblower. That's crazy. Now, why I'm here is to figure out the why behind this. Look, I'm here. Reality. 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 Was there something that just pushed you over the edge on this? Here's a film from writer and director Tina Satter, and this just came out, um, what, maybe a few months ago, 2023. And, um, you know, this one's interesting. This is a Max exclusive, by the way, so maybe check it out if you have that. Um, this stars Sidney Sweeney, who, I, you know, I just mentioned in a previous episode that I'm, I find myself kind of constantly being surprised at this point about where she's able to go with some of these roles. This one, again, another one, because this film is very interesting in the way it's put together. I mean, it starts out with an audio record. You just listen to an audio recording, and I think there's a couple of cards that come up explaining what is happening. And this is the story of a young woman named Reality Winner, who is a, a, like an intelligence contractor or an interpreter for the government. And this is the moment that, I mean, it starts with the audio recording of the moment that uh, it's like FBI agents, I think. They arrive at her house as she's arriving at her house and they start questioning her about stuff. And they're asking her about her work. They're asking her about some suspicious activities that they've been seeing. And, and they're kind of feeling out who she is and, and what she's doing. And the way the film works, I mean, it's going off of the audio recordings. And even to the point where as they're having their conversation, as they're just talking when certain things are clearly classified and they're redacted, let's say, it the, she disappears from the screen or they disappear from the screen, the two agents, played by um, Josh Hamilton and Marshawn Davis. Uh, they are very official looking, but also somewhat suspicious looking because they sound and look like agents, some government agency, but they never really specifically directly uh, identify themselves or, or, or address that. They just show up and they start talking to her, asking some questions. And then the film does an interesting thing where it 
almost plays out like in real time. And I wonder if that's because there is a real sense of we are listening to an audio recording and now we're just seeing it kind of reenacted in a way. And when that happens, I mean, you are watching these three people, essentially. I mean, there are other people that kind of come in and out of the scenes, but you're watching these three people really size each other up and just try to figure out what they're saying, but also what they're not saying. Like, there's not a lot that happens in this film. I mean, it really is like these three characters talking in front of or inside of her house at you know, different locations outside in, in the living room, in a second room, in the backyard, whatever. And the whole time, the camera's just playing it out like a conversation, but you're watching so much. You're watching the body language. You're watching what their eyes are doing. And it's like some kind of weird game of chess where they know what they're trying to get her to say, and she knows what they're trying to get her to say, but she knows what she can't say or, or shouldn't say, and they also know what she's not going to say, right? And we're the ones that are in the middle of all of that trying to figure out, wait, okay, is she lying? Is she hiding something? Is she not lying? Does she not know what they're talking about? Do they know? You know, it's it's one of the, it's a weird like mental game of, of trying to figure out who's who and, and who knows what. And in that way, that's where I think the unusual tension comes from in this film. Now, other than that, I mean, it is on its surface, it is probably a boring film. Nothing really happens in the film. It is based on a play. And so it does feel that way, but it is a little more cinematic, a little more dynamic because it takes place in different places, outside, inside. So to me, it's interesting. It, it feels like a little bit of uh, like a documentary in a way. But I'll just say, I mean, it's an interesting watch. It's an interesting exercise. And it's one of those that really does feel kind of experimental in a way. Of like, we want to tell this story of this character and what happened to her or what she did. But at the same time, to just make a dramatic retelling of everything, that might feel like it's been done before. And in a way, it has been done. I mean, we've seen movies about, uh, let's say, spies or interpreters or whistleblowers even. And we kind of know how they go. And here, I think that was at least the intriguing thing is I had no idea where this film was going. One, because I honestly, I didn't even know this story. I've heard of Edward Snowden. You've heard of Chelsea Manning. You've heard of some of these other people. I had never heard of this story. And I don't know if that's just because I didn't pay attention or it somehow went under the radar or got scrubbed from the world or whatever. I don't know. But um, this was, I, I would say it's very lean because um, not a lot happens in the film. And if this kind of subject matter doesn't really interest you, you might not find much in this film that's going to grab you. But for me personally, I thought it was really interesting. I, I would recommend it just to see like how someone tried a whole different approach to telling this story. So check that one out if you like. Um, again, it's not a long film. And it's not very complicated, but might be worth the watch. Okay, so look, if you're just listening to this, you just found Film Streak, thanks for checking it out. Um, hope you maybe got something out of that. Maybe some of those films you have seen and, and you feel differently, or maybe you agree. I don't know. Um, uh, if you have some thoughts on that, you want to suggest something or, or, Hey, you know what? Tell me, I like, what did I miss? Just, uh, send that to comments at filmstreak.com or go to filmstreak.com. You can leave a comment there. Uh, you can also subscribe. You can sign up for Apple podcasts, Spotify, all those things. You can even get new episodes come straight to your email. Hey, you know, I mean, just trying to make it easy for you. We're just trying to share some movies, you know. Anyway, that's me. That's the episode for this week. And uh, hey, next week, be something special. So make sure you check that one out. 
Talk to you later. Go watch something new.